Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Would you guys welcome, a warm welcome to Michael Maiden as he comes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you so much. It's a real honor to be with you. It was worth flying across the country just to be in that worship service. That ain't normal. Wow. And uh, thank you for the way you worship. You know, it's not uh, one of the things I like about my church is not just that we have good worship leaders, our church worships. And uh, maybe the person next to you tonight needed a miracle, and your worship might have created the environment for that miracle to come. So you just keep worshiping the Lord like that. People, people six miles away just felt a wave. Someone three miles away was thinking about taking their life tonight. All of a sudden, the wave of glory came from this place, just washed over them and helped them. I felt... You know, when you uh, prayed for our brother, the Lord told me there was two people tonight that God was healing of cancer. And I declared over you, sir, and any other person, this is a cancer-free church, a cancer-free zone. And uh, the other really cool thing I heard was uh, the Lord said, tell my people I'm canceling surgeries tonight. And so I just declare over you and anybody in this room that is heading toward the certainty of a surgical procedure that the Lord's canceling that for you, touching your physical body in the name of Jesus and, and healing you. Um, we had, uh, if you keep worshiping like that, you're going to change the whole city. We had, uh, three years ago, I was greeting people after the church service, and uh, it's my custom to greet new people. And... Uh, a young woman in her mid-20s came up to me, and she said the sentence to me, Pastor, I always wondered what you looked like. And I thought, well, she probably listened to me on podcast. Or... And she said, I came to the service born blind. But during the worship service, something washed over me. And I'm, ga- I'm gazing into these kind of pools that are forming in her eyes. And she sta- I couldn't stop staring into her eyes. And and uh, Jesus opened a blind woman's eyes during our worship service. And uh, so the very next week, she brought her blind friend to church. And uh, the exact same thing happened. Just two weeks in a row, bang, bang. Her other friend had a, a legal blindness uh, with a real cross-eyed and a l- lack of focus. And she's just, I'm looking at her eyes, they're perfect. And uh, Jesus opens blind eyes. There's nothing broken in you he can't fix. And he can do it. And if we keep pushing into God in this generation, especially during worship, we're going to see more signs and wonders than any generation has ever seen because we're, cr- we're creating these corporate canopies of God's glory that just will cover start covering territories and people will just get within a, a, a few mile proximity of your church and just get healed and it, it, it'll become known 
just get into a service there. It doesn't matter who's preaching. It doesn't matter who's leading the worship. There's such a glory of God there. If you get into it, you're going to be transformed, like Pastor said, uh, changed. And uh, every encounter we have with God changes us, makes us better, makes us more like Jesus. And every encounter we have with God is a love encounter. And he's been loving on us. I don't know about you, I feel loved on tonight. Hey, I came in last night from Southern California. My, my youngest son, Timothy, and his wife, Melissa, live in Laguna Beach, suffering for Jesus there. <laughs> As uh, my son's a professional artist, musician. So they, on Tuesday, they had their first child. And so we, Mary and I flew in to see her. Um, her name is Rose Moon Maiden. And so my son's prophetic. He's eccentric, and he's an artist. And so he tells me the you know, moon. I said, what? You're naming your baby moon? And so I tried to talk him out of it for a little while. I said, you know, I just want to do it, Dad. You know? And so she's born, and then that night on her, their hospital room, it's on like the seventh floor of this beautiful view of the Pacific Ocean from, the, from their hospital. And there's a full moon. And I think the nurse said, you know, it's a strawberry moon, or in Europe they call it a rose moon. And so, uh, no way. So I said, I'm sorry, Tim, she can keep the moon name. Little baby rose moon. And so we're uh, celebrating as a family. It's our sixth uh, grandchild. For eight years, I've had five grandkids, and I call them the Fab Five. I've made them famous around the world. My, one of my granddaughters' name is London, and she asked me uh, a year or two ago, she says, Poppy, are we famous? I said, yes. <laughs> they know about you in New Zealand, Australia, and Europe, and all the places that I go. I talk about them and uh, making Jesus famous and my grandkids <laughs> famous. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. Lindy, it's been a real joy to uh, have a friendship with you. I think we go back eight or nine years when Pastor Bill first started convening us together. And uh, you have, you have world-class uh, Christians. You know, good Christians make good pastors. I just want you to know that. Uh, and they're really Christ-like, really loving um, all the time. Have raised beautiful kids. But would you tell this family how much you love and appreciate Hale family? Come on, they're awesome. Think about several of the things and they, the way they've, they've demonstrated their love for this church community for 10 years in just extravagant ways. And uh, we really honor and appreciate them and just want you to know that they're just so well thought of all over the world. All, everyone that knows them loves them and uh, appreciates all that they've done for the kingdom of God. It's good seeing you again, my brother, uh, world traveling. Brother, thank you. For, I'm honored that you're here tonight, and um, can't wait to hear the testimony. Every time I hear a testimony from him, I feel so excited about what God's doing through him, through life around the world, in uh, the Muslim world. Every place he goes, he gets favor, and the kind of favor that you wish God would give you. 
That didn't happen to me. Hey, yesterday when I was, uh, I really like, you know, um, being prophetic. Um, I really like to feel like I have something from God, not just a good sermon. And so when I was waking up yesterday, um, really early in California, the, the Lord just kept saying this sentence to me. He said, there's a miracle in your mouth. There's a miracle in your mouth. And I thought, wow. That's, that's awesome. I think I need to speak on that. So my, my little sermon tonight is called, There's a Miracle in Your Mouth. Hey, would you turn to someone next to you and say, hey, there's a miracle in your mouth. And I'm not just talking about your cavities turning gold, okay? There's, that's a miracle, okay? Let me begin with something funny. A businessman, young businessman, wanted to honor his parents for their 35th wedding anniversary. And so he wanted to give them a gift that would be really unique and express his deep love for them. He was in the mall, and he came to the pet store, and he walked in there and found a, a parrot that could speak 150 words. It was exotic South American parrot. He said, that's it, that's it. So he paid thousands of dollars, had it created, and sent all the way across the country to his parents. And a few days later, he called his parents and says, Hey, Mom and Dad, did you get the gift I sent you? And the dad answered back, We sure did, son, and it was delicious. <laughs> he said, It was delicious. What are you talking about? That was an expensive South American parrot that spoke 150 words. There's a long silence on the phone. Finally, the father says, Well, he should have said something. I think that fits into my sermon tonight. I don't know. We'll see. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, there's an amazing story. We all know uh, the story of blind Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus was, received a miracle. But I want to kind of just follow the narrative of the story. And the Bible says this in verse 46 about Jesus. And it came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude followed. And there was blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, who sat by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus, faith comes by hearing. Faith is initiated by hearing. It is then activated and demonstrated by saying. And so he hears about the miracle worker, the healer the bread of life, the great physician, Jesus. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Bartimaeus began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. It's a Jewish title. He, as a Jew, can pray this with legitimate uh, accord. And he calls out for God's mercy to help him. Then many around him warmed him, warmed him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more. I love people that love Jesus more than they care about people's opinion around them. I love people that don't care if you don't like the way they worship. That don't care if they're shaking it or shouting it or, or on their face or whatever they're doing to touch God. I love this church because everybody here is worshiping in a cool way, touching Jesus, giving God worship. And so... 
he gets even louder. I just want to say to someone, it's not the time to get quieter, it's the time to get louder. It's not the time to hold back, it's the time to unleash the sound of your voice into your future because God's got some things for you. So Jesus, the Bible says in verse 49, stood still. He has now gained the attention of Jesus. And he commanded Bartimaeus to be brought to him. It's really cool. The same people that probably told him to shut up five minutes before are now directing him to Jesus. And they brought Bartimaeus. And the Bible says this, uh, be of good cheer, Bartimaeus, Jesus is calling you. Verse 50, throwing aside his garment. We all know about that. That's a bigger garment. He's throwing aside his past. He's throwing aside his handicap. He's throwing aside the thing he's dependent on because he's going to put Jesus in the place of that garment. He's not going to need that crutch anymore. He's not going to need that symbol. He's not going to need that dependency because Jesus is taking over his life. It's an act of faith. He rose up and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? These nine words are so fascinating because it's really the key. You know, I found out early in marriage, when we were first married, I bought my wife things I thought she'd want. Like a beautiful nightgown. She said, oh, thank you. I have 18 of these, but thank you. And so I found out as a good husband, to make my wife happy, I needed a list of what she wanted. So I went to the mall, and I said, okay, this is what she wants. I got her what she asked for. Jesus asked Bartimaeus, who's obviously, apparently, he's visual. You can see he's blind. It's not hidden. So he's being led by others to Christ. He's, he's standing there totally blind. And out of the blue, Jesus asked him this amazing question, what you need, brother? What you want? And, and if you're around him, it's, it, it almost crosses the, the, the crest of being um, rude. What, what do you mean? What do you, Jesus, what's wrong with you? Can't you see what we all see? But, but they didn't know. People don't get miracles because God notices them. They get miracles because they have faith in the power of God to heal them. And so Bartimaeus there, here is Bartimaeus, and, and so he answers back, Rabboni, master, great one, teacher, I want to receive my sight. Now this is an important point because when you ask God to bless you, he might just give you a good parking space. <laughs> oh, Lord, bless me today. And he might give you, you know, favor and, and go to the front of the line, whatever it is. But the more specific your request, the more dynamic your faith. And, and the more specific you ask God something, the more you're demonstrated a heightened faith. What do you want God to do for you? And so when you start really narrowing that down and focusing on it, let me ask you tonight, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What are you believing for? And, and the more you can focus that, the more you can really pinpoint a targeted faith saying, this is what I want. I want my kids saved. I want my business blessed. I want my marriage healed. I want my body restored. And when you start really requesting things in a dynamic way, there's power in it. So the moment he said what he wanted, God healed him. Because there's a miracle in your mouth. Jesus couldn't do it until he said it. God can't do it until you say it.
Well, I hope my family gets saved. Well, why don't you start just walking around every day saying, my family's going to be saved. Because there's a miracle in your mouth. Well, I'm waiting to see if God's going to heal me. Well, you might wait a long time. You need to walk around every day and say, I'm healed in Jesus' name. I believe by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. I believe the best is yet to come, like Pastor said. And so there was a dynamic there released. In the next chapter, chapter 11, I'll just kind of quote it to you. Jesus uh, walks past the tree. In fact, they saw it from a, a great ways off of a beautiful fig tree. But when they got to the fig tree, there was no figs, and, and they were all hungry. So Jesus stood there in the, in the sight and the sound of all the disciples, and he said, I command this tree to die. Tree, die. Or there's no future for you. The Bible says he cursed the tree. So he didn't cuss it. He cursed it. A curse is an attack on your future. And Jesus said, there's no future for you. The devil curses your future. Jesus blesses your future. You have to get good about joining him in blessing your future. And so Christ cursed the fig tree, and the disciples said, man, he, he must really be hungry today. He's cursing stuff now. So it just so happened the next day, he led them kind of in the proximity of that tree, of that tree, and they're walking around, and, and, and Peter says, Master, the tree you cursed yesterday is already dying from the bottom up, from the roots up. And Jesus winked, way to go, buddy. And he said, I say unto you, have faith in God. And then he says, as whoever will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe the things that he saith shall come to pass, he will have whatever he says. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. The words of Jesus. So Jesus said, you can perfect your dialogue on earth to have so much power that you release heaven and earth by the things you say. You can overcome being negative and being critical and calling it being real. And you can become a powerful voice of hope and prophetic destiny for people's lives. And so the more you restrict the negative things in your mouth from coming out, the more power the positive things have in your future. David said, set a guard over me. And David said, of all places, over my mouth, that I may not sin against you. Proverbs says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Death and life, heaven and hell. Healing and sickness, future blessing and hurt, whatever. So, so Jesus was teaching them how to release heaven by the power of words. By the power of what they say will happen. I sat in a doctor's office 14 years ago. We were on vacation of all places in Laguna Beach with my family. I got sick, went to the doctor there in the summer 14 years ago, and the doctor said, he said this, here's my diagnosis. You have this specific cancer. He says it's a bad cancer. It's inoperable. We, and here's, there's, you know, he gave me the percentage of, of, of life and death. And so he's talking on, he's, he's a scientist. I appreciate doctors. He's talking to me, and I just leaned forward. I put my hand on his desk, says, excuse me. I said, I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Yeah. He, so he's, he's shaking. What? I, I leaned in more. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. That's Psalm 118, verse 17. See, you have to stare death down when it tries to take you before your destiny is fulfilled. Come on, the devil's a liar. Remember, remember the story, this great story in the Bible 
a teenager and a giant. We think Goliath was somewhere between 9 and 11 feet tall. And here's a teenager. He's handsome. He's rude. But he's a teenager. And he runs out to meet Goliath, the champion of Gath, who had never lost a battle. And Saul said, Goliath was bigger than you when he was a little boy. He's, he, he, he's never known defeat. In fact, in the Chaldean paraphrase, Goliath boasts of being the one who carried the Ark of the Covenant out of Israel until Philistine, uh, the Philistines' camp. So here's this undefeated monster, 10 feet tall. And when David runs toward him, David, Goliath starts spewing words at him. For, for 40 days, they, they had had a battle. And so Israel's army is on one side, the Philistines on the other side. But they hadn't fought yet, except one guy had been preaching a sermon every day, twice, morning and afternoon. Goliath, he would walk out into the middle of that valley and challenge the Israelites. Say, send me your champion. For 40 days, he preached. And for 40 days, Israel never answered back. So David shows up just to give his brothers lunch, and he hears Goliath, and he says, who's going to shut up that monster? Who's going who's to kill that guy? And, and, and it should have been Saul, but no man in Israel volunteered, and David said, I'll do it. And so David's running to meet Goliath, and as he runs, Goliath starts cursing him by his gods, Dagon and, and Baal and Asherah, Beelzebub, and all the deities, all the stone or wooden deities of the Philistines. And, and David said, you done? Come on, you can't ever let the devil have the last word. And David said, I, I got a few things to say to you. This is your last day. I'm taking your head. When I'm done with you, I'm coming for those, that army behind you. And here's what David said, that the whole world might know that the battle is not men's, it's God's. The battle is the Lord's. Any man of, of Israel could have defeated Goliath because it wasn't a battle between two men. It was a battle between two kingdoms. And God was just looking for someone in the kingdom that he was in to fight for him. And David won because he said he would win. David defeated him with his words before he defeated him with his hands. Come on, David said, this day, this is my miracle day. This is your last day. You can't have Israel. You can't have our children. You can't have any more men. You're not going to make any more women widows. You're not going to make any more little children orphans. This is your last day to be alive. And he talked right to the stronghold of that generation. He spoke right at it. He rebuked it. He cursed it. He overcame it. He faithed it to death. Come on, the devil's trying to intimidate this generation with an onslaught of media. And you're being talked to all the time. you got to learn to talk back. Got to learn to talk back. Talk God talk back. Amen. I told the doctor I wouldn't die. And within six months, I was healed of cancer. They found cancer, and then they couldn't find cancer. And that was 15 years, 14 years ago. A couple more stories. There's a great story in 2 Kings chapter 4. The Shumanite woman who who couldn't have a baby, and the prophet said, you can have a baby, and she had the baby, and he becomes a little boy, and he's out in the fields working with his father, and he, he has heat stroke or something, he passes out, and then he dies. And so she tells the servants, put him up in his bedroom, and they put him up in his bedroom, and she ran into her husband a little bit, and the husband could see all the commotion, and, and, and the husband said, what's wrong, is everything okay? And she said, it's going to be all right. You know, King James says, it is well. In the, Greek, in the Hebrew it reads, it's going to be all right. I would say, everything's okay. 
everything's going to be okay. And, and so then a little bit, she, she runs down to, she sends a messenger to Elijah's house, and, and he, he senses it too. And the same thing she says to the messenger, everything's going to be all right. See, see, you have to prophesy into your future how it's going to turn out. You can't wait for life to show you what it has for you. You have to sow, like Pastor said, the seed of prophetic promise, declaration into your future, and tell it how it's going to be. For the, for the last uh, 31 years pastoring, I've, uh, we pastor in Phoenix, and in Phoenix, um, we get really hot in the summertime. So we hit last week 112, 111 degrees. And uh, it's just, you know, you have humidity here, but we just have... So much heat, you can fry eggs on the sidewalk kind of heat, okay? And uh, so w when I came to town, uh, uh, the pastors that I befriended all said, well, you know, Mike, you just got it used to in the summertime. Everybody leaves. The church attendance will go down. The offerings will go down. Salvations will go down. Every measurable in the church will go down. And I thought, okay, that, that makes sense. And the Lord said to me, here's what he said to me. It doesn't have to be that way. And so I called that Summer, a summer of miracles. And for 31 straight years, every summer, our church grows. Our church has its best attendance, has its great, because we call it a miracle summer. Now, I'm not, I, you know, I, the same with our winter, a miracle winter, whatever, miracle springtime, miracle autumn. But the whole, the whole idea was countermanding the prevalent opinion of something that was interfering with what God wants to do. So just saying it, some, God has declared over you guys a summer of miracles. Amen. Pastor Steve and Lindy, Lauren, I heard, I heard uh, just then I heard the, the thunder of hoofs. And so horses, they weren't walking, they were galloping. So I know in my spirit that God's releasing acceleration to your church. And so a five and a half year season's ending in a new five-year season's beginning where everything's going to happen supernaturally quick. And so the good thing is God's, God's got some amazing plans for Bethel Atlanta. And because you've not given up, because you've not quit, because you've not relented, the hoofs of heaven, the, the acceleration of God is moving things quickly. You're not going to walk in this next season. You're going to run. Joseph didn't walk from prison to the palace. He ran there accelerating into his destiny. God's going to make up for lost time. God's going to make up for everything that's been out of sync. And just watch what God does. This is a wonderful season for the life of this church. In 1995, I'll give you my story just real quickly. Um, I was 37 years old, and I started church when I was 27 in Scottsdale, my boyhood hometown. And Jesus blessed that church. And uh, sometimes it's just being the right place at the right time. And Awesome things happened. We had great worship leaders come out of there. We raised up a guy named Israel Houghton. I don't know if you've heard of him. Ricardo Sanchez. B.J. Putnam is my son-in-law. So good things happened all, all over the place. And in 1995, we were building a, a, a big auditorium, a 4,800-seat auditorium. So that's big. Um, and I don't know, it's seven stories high. It was right in the main road in Scottsdale. And in August of that year, our church treasurer embezzled $20 million from us. Took all our church money, took, many of us had our accounts with him. He had, a, had, he had his finance company, kind of like a savings and loan. And so he was a dishonest business guy running a, a con, a, a Ponzi scheme. 
had been for eight or nine years, rather long one. But, but so we lost all our money. And so I, I, uh, I've never, I've loved one woman. I've never smoked. I've never uh, touched alcohol. And I was in the front page of the paper 10 times. And always a bad picture. So always, uh, Pastor Maiden. Hmm. And uh, we had six lawsuits, two class action lawsuits. We had death threats. We grew from, from 4,500 people to 120 people within 18 months or so. And um, everything that could go wrong went wrong in our church. And my son became a drug addict. He was an all-state athlete as a little boy and a uh, basketball player. And he started doing drugs because then one day he lost all his friends. And the whole city's talking about us, preachers talking about us. And it just takes a while. When you're, when you're engulfed in the media, it takes a while for the truth to come out. We eventually won all those lawsuits. They covered that like page 32 of the newspaper. And uh, it didn't really matter by then because we lost the public relations battle. And uh, so a couple things happened. Uh, one of them was I was watching Matt play a basketball game. He's 14 years old and uh, in a south, southern city called Maricopa, where Patricia King is in uh, Arizona. And so I'm at Maricopa High School, and we're watching him, and, and it was cool. He won the game at the buzz, just a little, the smallest guy in the court. But he was already good. And so I was happy. I go out. I'm, I'm in the parking lot. I'm looking for my Honda minivan, a green Honda minivan. And I'm standing there, and uh, I'm, I'm sure I, I parked it there because I remember there was a Mercedes on one side and a Lexus on the other side, and my crappy car right between them, right in the middle. <laughs> and uh, so I'm standing there. If you've ever had your car stolen, there's always a moment of disbelief. So I'm standing there, and it finally dawned on me, someone swiped my crappy car. And I'm, I'm looking at the Mercedes, looking at the Lexus. What kind of thief walks around a Lexus, ignores the Mercedes, and steals the Honda minivan? And so I just go back, and I, I'm standing there under the outside porch of the high school. You know, we called the police, and we're trying to sell things. And, and I, you know, so I'm just irritated. And um, the Lord said to me, uh, do you want to know why that happened? I said, yes, I'd like to know. <laughs> oh, omniscient one, please inform me. I didn't say that. I'm sorry I said it now. Take it back. Um, so he said to me, well, your car was the only cursed car in the parking lot. So when we were driving down about an hour drive from our house to the game, I was on the phone. I had 15 attorneys all, all at the same time. So I'm talking with two or three attorneys in that drive down, just outrageously bad things. We lost our house, we lost the church, we filed bankruptcy, just one, it kept spiraling worse and worse and worse. And I whispered out of my mouth, the kids couldn't hear me in the back, I said, I feel like I'm cursed. I said, I feel like I'm cursed. And um, because, you know, two or three years of intense, nonstop storm makes you begin to wonder, oh, and so, the Lord said to me, the only car that was cursed was your car. And I realized that I'd been through such an intense season that my vocabulary had been damaged by my pain. And I was saying things in concert with hell, not with heaven. I was opening doors, not closing doors. I was releasing more pain, not more healing. And 
Here's what Psalm 103 says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You can pray that prayer if you forgot to bless your food and you're halfway through your dinner. You can pray all the sin within me. Bless your holy name. <laughs> bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Everybody shout benefits. benefits. Who, for, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. Verse 5 who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. See, your comeback begins the moment you start saying so. Come on. Here's what, here's what the Bible says in the book of Job, verse 22. Chapter 22, you shall declare a thing and it shall be established for you. So shall light shine on your pathway. And when they cast you down, you shall say, exaltations on the way. On the way down, you prophesy about on the way up. You start talking about your future before you've even reached the bottom. You start prophesying good things. Come on. The devil wins when he convinces us to doubt the goodness of God. But we win and give the devil two black eyes when we can declare God is good even while we're going through something bad. Come on. So the other thing happened, maybe, um, trying to think of around 2002. So about seven years into it, my son, the day he turned 18, moved out of the house. Drug dealers are trying to kill him. And police are trying to arrest him. So it became pretty exciting at our house for a couple of years. And uh, I used to lay on his bed and just travail in the spirit, just weeping over my son. Because prophetic people weep over lost opportunity, missed opportunity. And I was weeping over my destiny, the son of my, my son's destiny in his life, and asking, and, and the Lord said to me, Stop grieving over your son. And next time you see him, tell him about his great future with me. And when your wife and you talk about him, talk as if he's already the man of God I told you would be. So we've been praying for seven long years for our son to be set free from drugs. We put him in rehab when we could. When he got of age, he was out. And now for, for I told Mary, we cried. We both started doing it. And, and, and we just walked around, thank you, God. And my son was still, he was always respectful and honoring, even when he was bloodshotted and then stoned out of his mind. And I, he'd come and see me with the bloodshot eyes. I put my arm around. I said, Matthew, you're going to change. The, you're a history maker. You're a world shaker. You've got a great destiny. You're like, yeah, dad. <laughs> Listen to me. Six weeks after I started doing that. <laughs> prayed seven years. Seven years. Six weeks when I changed my vocabulary. See, God can't bless something until you stop cursing it. So... He was playing uh, junior college basketball, and uh, his, his friend invited him to meet a girl, but it was at a church. And so the Lord knew the way to my son's heart was through girls. <laughs> Thank you for all the pretty girls here at Bethel, Atlanta, God. May many men get saved because of them. So the, he's, in the, he's in the back row of the church. You know, it's, it's a small church, a couple hundred people. 
Sunday night service. He's in the back row. There's a guest evangelist. And the evangelist says something like this. God's setting someone free right now. And my son, who, who had, wasn't even thinking about God, fell out of his chair and violently shook for 90 minutes until all addiction was broken from his bloodstream and his mind. Come on, that happened. My son went to Bible college. He serves as a missionary in Haiti, became a pastor in our church, and now is a pastor and a businessman. God gave him a business in our city. He's got, about to have his fourth child. His wife is our executive pastor. Just nothing but awesome things. And it's amazing what can happen. My, my first sermon, Brother Leaf, was this uh, 15 years ago. My church is 15 years old. And uh, so God, God gave me a, a miracle comeback, is, you know, when I started saying things in concert with heaven. So I started a church after seven years. People asked me, Pastor, how long is the Great Tribulation? Seven years. From 1995, 2002. I've already been through it. Um, that's my eschatology right there. So I, I started a church in downtown Phoenix, highest, the second highest crime rate neighborhood in Phoenix called Church for the Nations. And um, I came to the pulpit. There was about 65 adults there, and I rented this huge auditorium. So I, there's, there's a 1,000-seat there's a auditorium, and 60 people are there. So I, I ran to the pulpit and said, I've got a word from God, 10-10. Oh, what's 10-10? We're going to meet 10,000 members and start 10,000 churches. And people there thought I had lost my mind. You know, poor guy's been through a lot. I think he's kind of <laughs> just finally over. But listen to me, nobody laughing now. Nobody laughing. I want to brag about numbers. I'm just going to say nobody's laughing about those numbers now. I have to change my numbers. And I said it before God did it. I said it so God could do it. I said it because when God gives you a promise, he expects you to do something with that promise, like a weapon, like a tool to unleash it. If you've got a prophecy, my goodness, use your prophecy to change the world. You've got to say your prophecy. You've got to keep saying it and saying it and saying it. The Lord gave me a prophecy as a young pastor, and then I'll stop and pray for some people. And I was on a stage like this, a beautiful service like this, and a real prophet named Bill Hammond prophesied, you're going to write uh, great books. And so I'm on the stage, and I started giggling out loud. And I'm sure all the people thought, oh, he's so happy. No, I was in full disbelief. <laughs> I hate writing. I hate, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was ADD back then. It just, uh, I don't like the, the discipline of it. The, you know, I just like to be, oh, come on, come on. And so that's happening, and... Um, and so I go home to Phoenix, and I felt like the Lord stopped speaking to me as a young pastor. I said, Lord, if I grieved you, if I sinned, he says, here's what God said to me. Why should I give you a new word when you rejected my last word to you? So here's what I got. God doesn't call things that are as though they are. God calls things that are not as though they were. God said to a blank, a blank canvas, let there be light. And so I started walking around my house saying, I'm a writer. I'm the writer of books. <laughs> my, hand, my hand is the pen of a ready writer. There's, there's books in me. My, my wife is laughing at me. She thinks, that, oh, Michael. And so I'm sitting in a service about, I don't know, 
two months later, and I had a guest speaker, and I don't remember one thing he said. I just was taken into another world and given a whole book with 12 chapters. It was de- I just went home. It took me 10 days to write it, 200-page book. And now I think I just finished my 15th or 16th book. It just not a lot, but just to say that grace never left. It just never left. My, my next book has got it to come back. It's my life story. That the publisher I'm excited about because I go into some real details about all this stuff. I actually had to change the names. My wife said, you can't name those. I said, that's, that's the truth. She said, no. So I changed their names even though they don't deserve to have their names changed. Uh, out of courtesy to Jesus and my wife. So, so uh, here's the cool thing. We contribute and we cooperate with God God can't give you your restoration without your full cooperation. And part of your cooperation is the changing of your vocabulary. Amen. You've got to look at your blank. Mary, now when I first started learning about faith in 1984, I was at church and I associate pastor, but I needed a job because the church only paid me $500 a month. And we lived in a ghetto and our next neighbors were gang members and two widows. That's where we lived next to. I won the gang. The widows were Christians. We won the gang members to Christ. It's a great story. But we're living there, and it's a, a you know, at nighttime, guns going off, that kind of neighborhood. Because that's all I could afford at 500 bucks a month, okay? And so when I realized it wasn't God's fault I was living that way, I grabbed my wife's hand and said, well, I'm going to take a part-time job, and we're going to make... Uh, enough money to sustain us. And, and so we had faith. for. I worked 15 hours a week in that part-time job. I had faith for $2,000 a week to come in. And for 10 straight months and a full commission job, no salary, I made $2,000 a week for 10 months because we agreed together. You want to change the world, get into agreement with your wife, your spouse, your husband, and start saying things about your future, about your kids, your finance. Amen. The devil tries to disrupt that. He's so afraid of the power base of families. He'll do anything to try to stop it. Amen. Hey, I, want, I got some good news for you. Hey, the best is yet to come for you. My, my, my son, Tim, who just had his child, uh, Rose Moon. I'm getting used to it now that the Lord showed me. Rose Moon Maiden. And so um, he, was a, he was probably three. We were watching a Saturday. We were watching some sports on, uh, on the TV, on the couch, just me and him together that day. And uh, the commercial came on for a tech school. And at the end of the commercial, the, the student looks into the camera and says, my future's looking great. So my three-year-old son jumped across the couch, grabbed my cheeks, pulled him right into his face and said, Daddy, my future's looking great. Listen, that was 27 years ago. I'll never forget it. Because when you hear your children speak well of their future, it awakens the greatest joy in your heart you can know. And when we say to our daddy, my future's looking great, he says, oh, you better believe it is, maiden. You better believe it is. You better believe it is. You have to say that even when it doesn't look great yet. You have to say that before the circumstances align. You have to say that so God can intervene into your future. What do you want me to do for you? Well, I'd like what I've lost back. Nine years ago, we lost a large church facility. 
this church I lost 23 years ago, it's a shopping center today because it's a really prized piece of land. And so, but nine years ago, I got a phone call. The gist of the phone call was within six weeks, God gave me a church. And so the church it seats 2,400 people. It's 135,000 square feet of building on Central Avenue in downtown Phoenix. And um, I got it for free. See, your comeback's not over until you get everything back you've lost. See, it's, it, it's, it's, not, it's not enough to overcome bad stuff. Then you got to go get your stuff back from the devil. You have, to, you have to keep standing and believing until everything that would have been is again. Until God makes you whole. Amen. The Lord, the Lord healed me when I forgave the people that hurt me. He told me. Son, if you'll forgive them, I'll anoint you to forget what they've done to you. That's Manasseh, anointing to forget. So when we forgive the people that have hurt us, God anoints us to forget the pain they've caused us. But that's not your full healing or restoration. Your full healing is to get everything the devil's stolen from your family. Everything the devil's stolen from your city, your church. Everything that's been ripped off from us as a generation until we see healthy people stand boldly in, in, in the court of heaven and they demand the devil to pay them back. Devil, I'm here to get my stuff back. I'm appealing not to, a, not to a distant judge but to my daddy. Daddy, thank you for giving me the authority to tell him to give me my stuff back. I want my family back. I want my kids back. I want my business, my life, my health, my whatever it is. So I'm, I'm a testimony of God's kindness and goodness is great. But I'm also a testimony of perseverance and faith. That if you can hang in there and not quit, not give up on God, not give up on his goodness, not give up on your future, not give up on the prophetic promise over your life. You have to believe on the way down, you've got to be thinking and prophesying about your way back. I'll, like, like Schwarzenegger said, I'll be back. Millennials have to look it up. I'll be back. Thank you, God. Listen, I felt it, 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 your, our souls are washed. I've been through kind of an intense season, a bunch of things happening, and, uh, but our souls are washed when we re-engage the goodness of God. The prodigal came home because God was so good. His goodness entices us back to intimacy and trust with him. <clears throat> but it's impossible to believe God's good and then not to expect his goodness to come into your world. So there's an exchange happening. Yes, God's good, but God's trying to break into your core belief system. So you actually believe goodness is coming in, that all things will work together for your good. It's not over until God says it's good. If it's not good yet, it's just because God's not done yet. That's your story as his child. And, and so as we press into God, our words start becoming these enhancers of heavenly uh, 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 intervention, of heavenly uh, possibilities in our life because we say things, because we proclaim things. We say things like this city is going to be saved. This church is going to be 5,000 members. I said that yesterday to Pastor. He was like, really? Yeah, really. I started, with, I started with half of this section. 
God said, don't let for me. So God can do it. All those things aren't hard for God. It's not hard for God. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.